Hey, Soma Church, this is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors uh, at Soma Downtown, and you are participating now, if you're listening to this, in our new gathering format, or kind of ways that we're doing similar rhythms to what have been normally done in the gathering on Sunday. Uh, I said last week we're going to start a form of gathering on Sundays digitally on this week, Instagram Live and Facebook Live, we believe, fingers crossed, and... As we do that, we are going to do music and liturgy and a short teaching really just aimed to get at kind of the main idea of a teaching that I'm going to do here right now and then disperse to discuss, whether that be with MCs on Zoom or just with family or, or friends or roommates, but just to go and discuss and, and connect in that time. And then for people who want to go deeper in our teachings like we usually do with open up scripture and exegeting and expositing and uh, bringing in uh, commentary and application uh, that we're going to do all that in this space in the podcast. So this is the space to go a little bit deeper with uh, these ideas. So uh, this is our second week on the Holy Spirit. We are uh, starting a spiritual formation mini-series, which we've been doing throughout the last several years, just talking about spiritual formation, what does it look like to practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world, and we do that by uh, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did, and so a lot of what we've been doing has been doing practice series, spiritual formation practice series, and we want to do one on the Holy Spirit or the Spirit, and I know we met, recognized last week that doesn't really sound like a practice, like you don't practice just the spirit, that's not a verb, uh, spiriting, but you do do everything you do, especially growth and sanctification and forming into the image of Jesus and practicing the way of Jesus together for the life of the world through the ongoing work of the spirit. So it's really almost a foundational spiritual formation series and maybe it's to our shame that we're only getting to it now. But regardless, we are getting to it now, and I'm excited about that. And so uh, we talked a little bit last week in the Zoom channel and the hangout after the gathering about I, we just I just posed the question for people who hopped in there about like, hey, what do you what's your background with the Holy Spirit? Like, what do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? Uh, what's your teaching there? And like I expected. It's really all over the map. Uh, a lot of people are coming from places where maybe they are more from a cessationist background, meaning like to cease, which is like the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit's influence cease, like it was important for the apostles. But once the apostles died out and the church spread powerfully, you just don't see anymore. And that's why you don't see these miraculous healings every day or people walking around doing prophecies or speaking in tongues as commonly. Uh, and some people are like, well, no, I I. I see those things. In fact, I saw those all growing up. I was in a much more charismatic tradition, and maybe that was charismatic in a way that, like, you practice gifts in one uh, a way that was just like, hey, like, how can we lean into prophecy and, and speaking gifts? And some people came from like really ultra charismatic traditions, you know, where people are like waving flags and doing jumping jacks and handling snakes and going cuckoo for Cristo puffs, and you know, it's like the crazy uncle who the spirit is just like somebody who comes over, you know, at the holidays, and people get a little bit crazy and start talking funny and. And doing stuff and saying stuff and and yeah you know just a lot of people whether you grew up in that tradition of of this just freaks me out because we never talked about the spirit or it freaks me out because we talk way too much about the spirit some people are just like man the spirit i've seen a lot of it used in circles to be abusive uh or to to just kind of like you know put the the will of god behind whatever i say well the spirit told me and now you can't argue with me because the Spirit said that. And Or, you know, maybe, again, you come from more of a healthy perspective or, or just a, a background where you talk about spiritual gifts and what it look like for the gifts of the Spirit to empower somebody for teaching or for shepherding or for, for being an apostle or for uh, counseling or for administration. I mean, there's just everything under the sun, it seems like, is open and on the table. Uh, encouragement uh, when Paul talks about spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And you get things like uh, healings and tongues and prophecy. Those are kind of like the headline, you know, uh, top-level gifts. We're like, how do we get more of those? Uh, how do I, you know, get into that, uh, get into the healing business, you know, because that would be really good in the midst of COVID-19, I would suppose. But either way, you have that. or And then we talked about also the spirit, like being a thing that people have been conscious of, the fact that we call it the spirit or the Holy Spirit. Like, what do you call the spirit? And, and just... They, somebody was mentioning that, well, you know, they grew up like 
calling it the spirit of the Holy Spirit and realizing, well, it's a person and you don't refer to your, your, like the wife or the Sharon. I, I just refer to Sharon by her personal name. And so they just said, like, I try to call the spirit spirit and communicate to them, uh, communicate to him, the spirit in that way. And then you have stuff like the fruit of the spirit or you have blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is like the one unforgivable sins. You're like, oh, gosh, I don't even know what that is, but I don't want to do it. And how do I not do it? And yeah, this all kind of boils down to the idea that ideas about the spirit are wide and a little bit mysterious, if we're honest. And we just are not quite sure how to categorize it all or really what we're talking about. And that's what I want to get at today. I want to get at when you talk about the spirit, particularly from the scriptures, what is the spirit? What, how is the spirit addressed? How is it conceptually thought of? What does the spirit do? How is the spirit pictured? What are the portraits we get of the spirit? And so the way I want to do that is threefold, really. I want to look at the language that the Bible uses to speak of the Spirit, which is going to get at the concepts. You know, those words are connected to concepts. And so what words and, and did biblical authors and the Spirit himself choose to reveal himself through those biblical authors? And so I want to look at the language that's used, Old, Old and New Testament. Uh, and then I want to look at the purposes the Spirit is given. Why it, People get the Spirit all the time in the Bible, but why? What are, what's going on with the Spirit? Why do they, why do they get the Spirit? And lastly, I want to look at the metaphors used to picture the spirit, because there's a number of them, and each of them kind of add another layer. And a lot of these things, the language, the purposes, the metaphors, even within those categories are going to overlap, because there's a lot of overlapping ideas. And so some of it might feel like we're almost like circling around and spiraling, spiraling around. But I think as we do that, as I've been doing that in my study, it's been giving me just a fuller, uh, more layered, more textured, more robust vision and idea of what the Spirit is and how I, I interact and commune with the Spirit of God. So that's our, our template. So let's jump in with that. So we're first going to look at language. And the million-dollar question is, when does the Spirit show up in the Scripture? And you don't even have to get through, like, the second verse until you get the Spirit coming in. Because uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the waters, a watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and the creation narrative goes on from there. So you have this moment at the beginning of recorded history through the Genesis narrative of God being over a formless and empty place. And and we sometimes translate that, you know, again, that word is translated empty. And so we think of it as like uh, nothingness, like God is creating from nothingness. But actually the real uh, Hebrew words kind of get more at this idea of like a wild and waste. Like there's wild and chaos and and just waste and destruction and, and emptiness and more of a, uh, a negative sense versus like a just, uh, you know, of nothing sense. And, and so you get this sense that, like, yeah, we, we always talk about, like, God creating from nothing. And, and while we probably, in some ways, that is maybe true, the first picture we get of God's creation in Genesis is actually him not creating from nothing, but creating from, from worse than nothing, creating from something evil and wicked and dark and chaotic and ruthless and creating it into beauty and form and order and peace and light. And... He does that with his spirit hovering over the surface of the waters. And that spirit hovering, that word for spirit is ruach. And the word ruach is translated into a couple different things. And I want to go over just different places where they're using the Bible because it gives us an idea of what they mean when they say ruach. And the first one uh, that you see ruach is wind, that the ruach is, is wind. And you have this wind that is hovering over the surface of these waters, this formless and empty, dark, chaotic surface of watery depths. And that makes sense because you go to an ocean and the, winds, the wind is blowing around waves and there's wind moving and animating the ocean and, and directing it and shaping it in the way that it wants to go. And that's this first concept you get with, with Ruach. I mean, you get that word coming up all the time 
Do you get the idea that God is God's spirit is something that is like directive and powerful? I mean, the the ruach of God is described as what pushes the waters of the Red Sea into two. That there's this wind, this mighty wind that rushes over and parts the Red Sea and holds the sea into two walls and a pathway for the people of God to pass through. And it said in, in, in Exodus 15, it's a poetic telling of the crossing of the Red Sea. And it said, you know, the breath from your nostrils breathed wind and the wind pushed the seas back. And so you get this idea that creation and this powerful idea when it comes to to wind. And it's, you know, again, it's it's power, it's energy, really. I mean, when you look out the window, if you are by a window now, you can look up uh, and if it's daylight, you might be able to see wind moving in the branches of trees or pushing the grass. I mean, we've had some really gusty days recently. It's not one as bad today. But yeah, you've had those days where just like you see the wind pushing and making all of creation move and sway. And wind is everywhere. It makes the clouds move across the sky. And so wind is everywhere. Birds fly on the wind and the wind fills everything everywhere. It's invisible, but yet it's influence everything. Everywhere there is air or wind. And so that's the first uh, use of, of ruach, and that's the way we see it throughout the scriptures. But then we also see it in terms of the concept of breath, because uh, what is breath other than just inhaling wind, inhaling air uh, into your lungs and then breathing it out is exhaling back into the wind. And and yes, we know more about the scientific process of inhaling oxygen and all the things that are in the wind and then exhaling carbon dioxide. But in reality, we are just breathing in a life force from the air, from the wind that's everywhere around us and moving around us and animating us and giving us life and then exhaling it back out and it goes back into the wind that circulates and then that goes into and that blows into the leaves of the trees which provides them life which they then give oxygen and it's just this continual passing of life back and forth through wind into our lungs and into the, the, the leaves of trees and all around the world into everything that lives breathes in the ruach and and again ruach is not just the wind it's the breath itself and, and you see that in genesis 1 because god speaks he says let there be light and there was light and you know that well, i mean maybe you don't know but if you think about it when you speak you release breath there i was a theater major uh studying acting uh, in college and we took a vocal class which was not singing for actors it was like learning how to use your voice and not just like voice for like vo uh, voiceover artists or whatever, but rather like learning how to peel away some of the protective layers that you've put on your voice on tensions in your body that you do that have been very well to serve you to, to, to trap in a, like, you know, just impulses and to be able to think and to uh, impulse control and be able to present yourself in the way that you want to present yourself. But sometimes when you're trying to form a character and act those, you bring your same uh, impulse inhibitors to a character. And so that character just becomes another version of you. And so the class was really about like trying to get out uh, or trying to discover what, what are the parts of your, your impulse control and your body intentions and places and your voice that you've held on to, to kind of like present the version of you to the world that you want to present and, and how do you recognize them? And then how do you take them off and put on different ones? And in that class, there was a line that our professor said over and over again, and she would say uh, uh, that breath is the blueprint of sound. And that sounds very profound, but you realize it's true. Again, speaking is just breath combined with vibration. And so you would take things and you'd realize that certain consonants are the same motion. It's just with a breath or with the vibration of voice. And so, uh, for example, uh, P and B, if you go P, it's just a p with a just breath, no vibration. But if you add a vibration, you get b, and you get the uh, letter b, or you get t, t, where you just get the letter t. You enunciate that with a with a t and a just breath. But if you put uh, vocalization behind it and vibration, you get duh. It's the same motion. You just get a d instead of a t. Uh, and, and again, we know this because if you can't breathe, you can't speak. I remember like being a little kid and, you know, my dad like wrestling me and then he'd 
you know, get to a point where he'd be like on top of me. And of course you do what you always do as a kid to like play the trump card. You're like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then he'd always be like, if you can't breathe, you can't talk. So then of course you do the next natural thing, which is like, you try to like pretend like you can't talk. Like I can't breathe. And, and you know, I don't know. He either didn't buy that and kept me there for another hour or he did and let me go mercifully. And now I do it to my children and then on goes the circle of life. But that is this idea that, yeah, without breath, you can't speak. And so when God speaks, he gives breath. And that breath is the creative force. It's this creative wind that comes out. It's this ruach. And it's air that fills everything. It fills our lungs. And, and, and it sustains us. Job 34, it talks about if he put his mind to it, and withdrew the spirit and breath he gave, every living thing would perish together, and mankind would return to dust. You see at the creation of humanity in Genesis 2-7 that God forms man from dust, and then he breathes his ruach into his nostrils, and life comes into the man. Because life begins and ends with breath. I don't know if you've been in the room when a baby draws its first breath. I've done, I've done that now four times, and it is crazy. You have this baby that uh, you know is born into the world, but of course is not breathing. And the classic thing is that they hold them upside down and spank them. They don't really do that so much anymore, um, even though it'd be kind of kind of cool. But they don't. And what they typically do though is they sit there and they if they aren't breathing, they will. And they did this with a couple of our kids who are not breathing immediately really well. They would sit there and rough them up a little bit and to get them to cry and to scream. And it, you know, would be child abuse if it wasn't for the very important fact that it's more important that we are, are pestering them and bothering them and making them cry so that we know their lungs can take an air and breathe because life begins with the first inhalation of breath. And just, so just like Adam, when God blows the, the ruach into his nostrils and he becomes a living thing. Uh, the same thing is true with every child that's born. And similarly, on the other side of life, to be, some, to be with someone when they breathe their last. Sharon, my wife, tells a story of hearing of a person's last breath. And she always got really freaked out whenever I would like do the thing where you'd like, take in a breath and like slowly let it out like audibly where you do the... Because she's like, say, no, I don't want to hear that because I heard that and I heard a person die and I heard that last breath and it sounds just like that and it just takes me back there. And there is something essential to us. This is all getting this idea. There's something essential to us, this breath, that we didn't come with. We, we, we came batteries not included. And we keep it with us in our body. We breathe, and inhale it, and exhale it. And when we die, we release it, and it returns into the wind. And so the ruach is this wind, a gift of life that is given to you by the wind, and then you release it into the wind, and it returns to the larger ruach and, and animates other things. You see this actually even just with the, the word spirit itself. Uh, just take the etymology of spirit, and it comes from the Latin uh, aspire or esperate or something, and you get from these things like expiration, which literally means to exhale, but also we think of, I mean, I, th I think of expiration, I think of expiration dates on food, and what is that other than the date where the, the seller is saying, hey, this food has given up its life, it has given up the breath, and and that's the other, if you look into other languages, I mean, every language, you take spirit, and spirit traces back to things like breath, or exhale, or blow, or wind. It's universal that there's this, this thing about humanity that we just see spirit as this concept of ruach, of wind, of breath. And so there is one other way, however, that I want to layer on top of ruach, that we see ruach used. And so you can see it in wind, you can see it used for breath and uh, the creative purposes that that has. And then you also see it uh, for uh, ruach, uh, one spirit is uh, is a purpose, uh, a purposes, or sorry, a person's purposes, their intentions, or their mind, their thoughts, their willful deciding to do, and and really, it's the concept of a mind because there was really no concept for the brain in ancient Near Eastern thought. I mean, you know, we see this 
with mummification of the pharaohs. You know, they took the brain out through the nose because really they just thought that was stuffing to keep your head from caving in. And they, they saw all these other parts of the body as being so much more important and they didn't have a big concept for the world and your processing going through your brain. And we can look at that and be like, well, they were just ignorant and, and pre-modern. And of course that's true, but, but they still were like, yeah, there's this life source in us. And regardless if they attach it to our head or where they attached it, they attach it to this idea of your ruach, your spirit. And really it's not too crazy to connect it to your throat. I mean, you think about your throat connects your head to your body and your throat uh, is where food goes from your, your mouth to your body and passes through, is where breath goes from your mouth to your body. It's where those both, you know, you exhale as well. If you want to kill someone, the quickest way to do it is to choke them and cut off oxygen to their throat or to stop feeding them or stop giving them water and stop giving them life sources through their throat. So it's not this crazy thought really when you think about it to, to conceptualize the ruach, this, your, your breath that comes in and out of your throat as, as to be like almost like this driving, mindful, uh, purposeful, thoughtful place of you. And uh, so you get this in uh, the scriptures. You get these things like in, um, in Psalm 51. You get David in the psalm that he quotes after he sins with Bathsheba. And he says, recreate in me a new ruach. Give me a new intention, a new will, a new mind. Uh, the first person to be filled with the Spirit or to have the Spirit come upon them is the person of Joseph in Genesis. And it is the moment when Joseph comes to interpret dreams. And this Ruach of God, this intention and mind of God, fills Joseph's mind and directs his mind to be able to interpret dreams in a way that nobody else can, in a way that uh, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time says, you have the Spirit of God. You understand God's understanding. His mind is directing your mind. The next person you see is Bezalel. And Bezalel is not making uh, a lot of the, the children's Bibles. But who Bezalel is, is the one who is said to be filled with the Spirit when they're looking for someone to create the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle of God. They're saying, hey, here's these plans. You're going to make this thing. And you're going to make it all these woods. And, and if you look at those woods, they're all trees that you see in the Garden of Eden. And you're going to make it with all these fruits, which are fruits found in the Garden of Eden. Like You're going to recreate this Eden, and it's going to be beautiful. And when you do it, you're going to do it through the person Bezalel because he has been filled with the Spirit to be able to create these beautiful things. And, and you get this idea that he's been filled with, with a muse. Like muse comes from music and it comes from that idea of just an inspiration. And even inspiration is connected to spirit. We get this inspired thought and that is an inspirited thought that there is God's mind or the mind of the divine intersects into our mind and gives us an idea. It gives us an enhancement of skill, it gives us an enhancement of our abilities. And then you see this go all the way throughout. Leaders, Joshua is filled with the Spirit to lead the people of God. The judges are filled with the Spirit of, uh, of the Lord to do things and to bring judgment and to uh, wisely God, uh, lead God's people or sometimes very unwisely lead their own lives, but just at the right time be filled with the Spirit to do something that God was doing at that time. You see kings are anointed to, to be filled with the Spirit of God to lead and prophets like the prophet Micah says, hey, I'm filled with the Spirit of God to bring about the interpretation of the words of God. And so God has a spirit, and his spirit can influence your spirit. You also have a spirit, and your spirit is what you want to do. It is your things that you desire. It's the things that you want. It's the things that you decide. And God's spirit, particularly when we ask him and, and ask him for wisdom or ask him to fill us and, and, and are sensitive to look for it, can can influence our spirit. And sometimes I think he influences our spirit. I think the scriptures show him influencing people's spirits and influencing, like it talks about world leaders, like, you know, uh, in Proverbs, it says that leaders are influenced by the, the, the spirit of God and he turns their hearts and their minds, the directions like a river. And he just bends it where he, where he wills it to go. His spirit can influence their spirit. And you see, uh, this in the book of Acts, you know, the book of Acts at one point, uh, the apostles were all uh, praying about what they should do, and they prayed about, uh, or they were praying about uh, if they should, uh, 
if they should let the the spirit of God and the kingdom of God go out to the Gentiles uh, and not just the Jewish uh, people. And because, you know, Jesus came to save the Jewish people and to be the Jewish Messiah. But all of a sudden these Gentiles were coming and wanting to be a part of the kingdom. And it's like, is God okay with that? And they pray and they think through it. And ultimately they say, all these men get together and uh, these disciples and these followers of God, probably women too. And they're all discussing in the room. And then they come out and they say, hey, it seems good to the spirit and to us that we should do this. And the question is, is we don't really know what happened in that room. We don't know if they had an audible like voice or they had a dream or they something wrote on the wall. But mo- uh, more than likely, as you see a lot of times throughout the scriptures, they just all went around the room and said, hey, this is what seems right to me. This is what seems right to me. And in a very diverse room, they came to a level of consensus that said, we believe that's the spirit bringing us to a place of unity. You get the Macedonian call. Paul is in a, uh, spreading the church around the world and, uh, and around the, the known world at the time. And as he does, he has a dream of a man from Macedonia saying, hey, come bring the kingdom of God to us. And he wakes and he says, I got to get to Macedonia. The Spirit has called me there. Another point, the Spirit prevents the apostles from going to Galatia. And we don't know how that happens. We don't know if it was circumstantial. They just missed a boat or if it was, uh, you know, a, an audible voice again. Or maybe it was just like they woke up with like a spirit of the Lord just, you know, in their spirit saying like, I feel uneasy about this, this trip to Galatia. We ain't doing it. I mean, Bartholomew, I don't care how encouraging you are. I don't want to go. And so I, regardless of how that happened, there was the spirit preventing them from going to Galatia. And, and all this is to... To continue to get at this, I'm going to get this point probably again and again and again in the series because I've really been, I think, re-educated on what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And I think a lot of us need the same re-education, and I need to continue to remind myself that being filled with the Spirit doesn't look like glowing, rolling eyes back in your head and having your, like, all of a sudden just your hands be moved like a Ouija board or your, your actions be empowered and things that you could never do in your natural self. Like if you're watching someone who is filled with the spirit, like a lot of times they seem to be aware that the spirit of God, like they have a sense that, hey, God's spirit is with me. But if you were watching from the outside observer, they're doing normal things, but they're doing them in a way that God is enacting his will. Maybe, yes, he's enhancing their their skill or their strength or things in, in slight ways, or maybe he's not even. Maybe he's just bringing their natural giftings to a time and a place where he's going to do his will through them. And uh, it's also important to realize that a lot of times people think to be filled with the spirit, you need to be like less human or less worldly. And this is like the monastic tradition where you like need to, you know, fast and you need to, uh, you know, the less you eat, the less you enjoy, the less you sleep, the more you pray, the more you're filled with the spirit. But really a lot of times to be filled with the spirit is to be more human. It's to be more of your, who God made you to be. It's to live into your giftings. And this isn't to say there aren't times to deny the flesh, to deny your, your appetites of, of I just want this and I want it now. And sometimes I deny those things to, to connect deeper with, with the spirit and with God. And then that comes out of me, but it's not always this direct equation. Sometimes I'm living in the world. I'm being myself and the spirit, as I sense him, I'm, I'm in step with the spirit, which we're going to get back to that concept here in a little bit. But I I sense this idea, man, I feel like I am in the rhythm of the spirit. And so uh, this is also a real thing for Christian circles to know. Don't too quickly dismiss your thoughts, your desires. And rather than dismissing those, because a lot of times in Christian circles, or, and maybe just, you know, I don't know where you come from. Maybe you come from like a less Christian perspective and maybe you came from a place where like you fully just dove into your desires, just dove into your thoughts. If I think it, it's true. Uh, insight must be right. Uh, but that's not healthy because there are many spirits out there and I have a spirit and my spirit can drive in a way that's completely against the spirit of God. And there's also evil spirits out there. There are evil spirits in the world, and they can be driving and moving, and it doesn't exactly look like possession, like exorcist, head spinning and spitting pea soup, but it looks more like the sense of, I am really moved to do things that are unhealthy for me or for others. And maybe they're not even like, you know, you know, snorting Coke in a bathroom, but maybe they're just doing things like just gossiping a little bit and just being influenced by a spirit to, to cause division and disunity and, and, and discouragement. And so don't give in to every spirit. 
give into your spirit, your thoughts, your desires, but don't dismiss them too. That's the, sometimes the Christian side, you come from a Christian circle where you're like, desires are from the devil. And you demonize your desires. You demonize your thoughts. If I think it, it must be wrong. I can, like, God will only communicate with things that are counter to my nature. And that's, again, not the picture that this, the Bible gives. He says, hey, there's many spirits, so discern the spirits. Uh, discern and First John, I think it is that he writes about. Hey, like you know, discern if this is from the Spirit of God. That ultimately takes wisdom, and it takes as you continue to grow and age and understand self awareness. So you continue to learn yourself. You continue to be a student of yourself, and as you learn the parts of yourself that are like, yeah, this is how I tend to decide this, and truly, I just kind of want to do what I want to do. And this is it always leads to an unhealthy place. But yet there's this other part of me that I want to do it and it actually leads to a life-giving place. And it's good and I want to step into that. And when I do it, I, I actually say, like, it, I just, I don't want to be generous. But then I just kind of like lean into this, like, somewhat subtle desire to be generous. And that brings more life. And then that brings more desire for generosity. And it can be something like that as clear as generosity. But it can also be something like, you know, moving, moving cities. You know, I always used to hear people when I was... Uh, in college or in college ministry being like, you know, I really think I'm called to California or Colorado. It was states that started with C that either had mountains or oceans or both. And, or I'm called to Hawaii. And I was always like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, and maybe you just want to move there. But regardless, like, I, I always told people too, like, if you ever like come to me and be like, I really feel like I'm, I'm, called the Telequa, Oklahoma. I'm going to be like, you should probably go. That's the spirit of God. There's just no way that, that you would come to that in any other fashion. So yeah, go there as fast as you can. But yeah, people don't do that as much. But sometimes people do. Sometimes people are like, man, I feel really called to this place, this part of the world. And you, I think ways to discern, is that the spirit of God, are thinking through like, okay, do if I'm moving out there, like I might have a real desire and maybe God filled me with a desire to yeah, be in this place that is a desirable place to live. But I got to think through the sense of like, okay, when it's there and it's hard and I don't have money to do the things that I want to do or I'm away from home and now I just want to be close and be familiar. When all these things are hard, have I considered that moment? Because that moment comes wherever you go, eventually you and your problems catch up to you. And when that happens and that comes, are you still wanting to be there because you feel like God has called you to invest in people, to sacrifice, to pour yourself out for others, to uh, to invest and not, you know, yeah, like not just go and sit on the beach. And maybe you go and you do that on the beach or maybe you do that as you hike. But but again, it's not just the sense of that's the main reason I want to go because at the end of the day, hiking, beach, they're great. But then you live there for a few years and it's just the background. That's all it is. I know. I've been in those areas. That's what it becomes. And you get kids and then you're just have a really high cost of living to raise kids while other people go to the beach and mountains on your behalf, on your taxes. So, uh, word of the wise. So, Indiana is like the Southern California of raising families. So, bang for your buck. Um, whole nother sermon. Where was I? So, yeah. Uh, that's, it takes wisdom. It takes self-awareness. It takes growth. And you're often going to be bad at discerning spirits early in life. And you'll, you get better as you grow in self-awareness, as you, as you honestly assess wisdom, and as you take in wise, older perspectives in your life. Not, not everyone who is older is wiser and has learned to discern, but those who you deem look like Christ, they have learned to discern, giving them real license to look at your life and discern because they probably can see things really obviously that you find to be completely mysterious about yourself and about your desires. So um, all this provides this idea that the spirit is a separate character. And that adds this complexity to who God is and how we experience him. That there's God in his spirit. And while they're the same thing, they're also like the spirit creates, the spirit hovers over. There's some, like, some way that there's a delineation of them. So that is the language of the spirit. And I want to uh, now take a moment to jump into the purposes of the spirit. So you get the purposes of the spirit. Uh, again, what, do you, what does the spirit do? And what do you get the spirit doing or see the spirit doing in scripture when god gives his spirit what what happens and the first one of course is creation we already saw that in genesis 1 the spirit itself is the breath of god coming out of the words uh, god speaks and that breath creates this ruach which then creates all of life in the heavens and earth and light and dark and separates and creates order and beauty and and joy 
And then it, it fills the lungs of the man and the woman and breathes into their nostrils and out of dust comes a living person and this, this, this image of God. Um, you see things like in Psalm, uh, Psalms 104, Psalm 104, uh, verse 29. Uh, it says, when you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. And that's actually not just talking about people, that's talking about just all of creation. Just all of creation is dependent on the life creative power of the spirit. And if God decides to take that away, then again, they, they turn to dust and that spirit turns back into the larger ruach that swirls around this entire globe and, and fill, fills everything. And, and then even that, then those animals or people, they die and they decompose. And then out of that grows plants and, and the circle of life and the Lion King is actually provided through the spirit of God. That he takes his spirit and that then provides the fertile soil then for the oxygen and the ruach of the wind to fill the plants with carbon dioxide that then causes them to grow. And it just causes this continual circle. Uh, in that same concept of creation is sustaining that the circle of life, or sorry, the circle of life, spirit of God, getting into the Lion King, the spirit of God sustains us. Uh, this comes from Psalm 33. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. So you see, again, he speaks and stars come and they hold in their positions and waters move and they gather into bundles and heaps and, and he puts places, the depths into storehouses. Like he holds things all together. You get that in Colossians that through Christ, that in him and through him and for him are all things, that all things hold together through him. And that's the spirit of Christ through through him and the spirit that it inhabits this world. Um, you hear in Acts, uh, there's the classic passage where Paul is teaching, and he's teaching about how like, hey, um, God has chosen the places and the time where you would live, uh, and, and in him we move and live and have our being. Like everything we do, everything in us, all the planets, the stars, our life, our breath, the rocks, the plants, the animals are all held together in the spirit. And this is almost pantheism. Like this is almost like the level of pantheism, which is like, yeah, like all life force is, is the spirit. I mean, uh, I think uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talked about like one of the most fascinating things he's learned about the universe is that like when stars explode, they spray dust onto the earth and that earth creates soil, which then creates plants, which then grows into things that are eaten by humans and, and like and grow into humans. And like literally we are made of that which is the stars. And actually that's somewhat of a Hebrew idea that all things are made and sustained by the spirit, but the life the life things or the rocks or the people or the plants aren't God. It's the life force, the ruach within us, sustaining us, bringing us life, moving us, animating us, directing us, invisibly influencing us. That is God all around us. So God is in everything, but he is not everything. He is separate from it, but yet infused in it simultaneously. And if you really believe this, it totally re-enchants what has otherwise been uh, unenchanted or disenchanted for modernist thinking. And modernist thinking was just like, let's take every element, every process, every chemical, and let's separate it out and name it. But it still doesn't get at describing why things happen the way they do, how they do it, where it all came from. And again, we can see how it happens, but we can't see how the happening happened and where it all originates from. And so you... You get the sustaining out of creation. Also connected to this idea of creation is uh, uh, is the influencing. Again, God influences our spirit through his spirit. And he does this through giving Joseph interpretive power, giving Bezalel muse and skill, uh, you know, skills to build the ark, nunchuck skills and bow skills and all sorts of things. Uh, you see all throughout in uh, the book of Acts, uh, the spirit influencing decisions, as we've already talked about, and, and pushing and moving his church throughout. Um the next purpose, so you creation, and within creation is creating, sustaining, and influencing. The next purpose of the Spirit of God is appointing or anointing. Uh, again, back to Bezalel. He was appointed by God to create the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. The kings, King David, King Solomon, 
when a king is made king, there come they are uh, a prophet comes, a prophet of the Lord who's filled with the Spirit of God, and he brings oil and he anoints their head with oil. He covers them with oil, and he says, "You are now anointed by the Spirit of God, and that Spirit is going to help you lead God's people. It's going to give you wisdom, going to influence your spirit, going to give you the ability to lead God's people where and do God's will." and appoint you for a certain task. We're gonna get back to that idea of oil and the spirit all of a sudden getting connected to the liquid there because that comes back up a lot in the scriptures, but we'll get back to that. The judges, all throughout scripture you get like, like people that are actually not morally that cool, uh, but you get like Gideon who's like fearful and unfaithful, but yet he's filled with the spirit to lead God's people into battle and to conquer with not losing a single person uh, by just the innovation that God gives him. And then you get Samson who is horrific in all ways. He's a sex addict and he's a misogynist and he's just, you know, completely just does anything to get things from women and he's violent and he's, yeah, he's really a you know, rough character that, uh, you know, is been vegetalized. And as he's done that, you miss the fact that he's a really flawed person, though God still uses him to fill him with the spirit to bring judgment upon uh, a people, the Philistines, uh, by giving him the strength, which he already had. It wasn't something completely unnatural to him. It was something natural to him, but the, for whatever reason, the spirit was connected to his hair, which is, I mean, I'm just processing this right now, but a lot of times when you're anointed, you're anointed on your head, and that's where the oil is, and so there's just the connection of when he cuts his hair. Uh, possibly that's when the oil and, and things are cut out from in the spirit. It's just a physical uh, reminder that the spirit now is not with him. And then he loses the strength. But then he asks, you know, God, would you just give me in this moment the strength one last time to be filled with your spirit to bring judgment upon the Philistines? And God does to a really shady guy or with a really shady guy. Um, to an even shadier people or I don't know, it's him and the Philistines, it's a toss up. But regardless, it's, I don't know, it's hopeful for us that God uses uh, shady people sometimes. Uh a whole other topic again. Either way, again, re-emphasizing, not supernatural seizures, uh, seizures, uh, not, uh, but rather a natural appointing and empowering. And, I, and empowering is kind of a misleading word because it kind of like gives a sense of like giving you like, you know, Popeye spinach to do, give you the strength that you otherwise didn't have, which kind of happens with Samson. And there's like a little bit of elevation or enhancement of skill, but really it's based off of things that are already true about these people that God is just like taking and appointing. It's interesting because appointing is really the primary way you see the Spirit coming. It's coming to appoint people for a specific task. And in American Christianity, you typically think of the Spirit or Spirit or charismatic churches or, or churches that are focused on the Spirit. You think of them about like emotionally driven churches. Like they're all about emotions and emotional worship and, and being really uh, expressive in worship. When really the spirit in the scriptures is mainly connected to verbs and action and appointment to do these things. God has something he wants to do, and so he appoints and anoints someone with his spirit to do his will. And uh, the last thing you get, so you had creation, which included sustaining and influencing. You had appointing or anointing, and then you have renewal or recreation. You see this in Isaiah 11, the uh, scripture about this a savior, this Messiah who's going to come into the world and he is going to, the spirit is going to be so filled, he's going to be so filled with the spirit, he's going to create a whole new world. It's going to be a whole new thing and we can't even describe it without using concepts that are just paradoxical or or, or just oxymoronic in, in nature, like this lions and lambs are going to lay down with each other and children are going to play with poisonous snakes. And you get the concept in Ezekiel. The fam most famous part of Ezekiel, the prophet, goes out into this desert, this dry, desolate, desolate place with a bunch of bones of just this army that had just gotten ravaged there and just had decayed, and now he just had a valley of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel, hey, can these, these bones live again? And Ezekiel does the wise thing. He says, God, you know, I, I don't even want to get this wrong. I'm just going to be like, you know, and I know that's true. And then God breathes wind. This wind fills the valley, and as that wind swirls around, it creates, but it's not just creating, it's recreating, it's renewing these people into living people again, newly created, restored, new-bodied people. And you see that uh, in the New Testament. You see it actually when Jesus 
when he, I mean, first of all, the Spirit obviously is intimately connected with Jesus' resurrection. I mean, the restoring, renewing power. It says that God, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is put into us as people. And of course, the, the first part of that is that the Spirit that raised him from the dead was this renewing presence. And then it, not only was it a renewing presence to bring him from the dead, but it also brought him into the, be the first fruits of new creation. He was this prototype of new creation. And it's interesting, and I think it's in the book of John, Jesus is out and his disciples are there and uh, they see him and they like run up and like, oh, it's Jesus. Like Jesus is back. And then it says he breathes on him, you know, which seems like, you know, you're just like, hey, Jesus is back. And he's like, <sighs> and he's as eccentric as he ever was. And but of course, when you have all this context of the breath and the Ruach, and Jesus having the Spirit of God that raised from the dead, and now he breathes on them, and he says, as the, as you know, as he said earlier in John, as the Lord, as the, my Father has sent me, now I'm sending you, and I'm going away, but I'm going to fill you with a Spirit that's going to do far greater things in you than I ever did. So that's the renewing, recreative power of the Spirit. And so those are the actions, the things that the Spirit has given for people to do. And then uh, lastly, we'll end with the metaphors that the Spirit uh, uses. And so, uh, or is used to describe the spirit. Again, like sometimes you just got to look at like, what are the pictures it gives us and what can you get from those pictures? And some of them we've already talked about, but I want to just, you know, retouch on and some of them we haven't talked about yet. And so the first one is just wind slash breath. Uh, again, this is the metaphors here. Uh, we've said some of them, but like, you know, wind determines things. And if you don't believe me, again, go on a windy day, and if you run with the wind at your back, I mean, we have that phrase, the wind is at my back, and I can go further and faster. Ships require wind to move, and they can direct it and move huge ships across oceans with the wind. And if the wind is at your face, if it's blowing into you, I remember, like, I bike a lot, and when I do, at least when I don't have to drop my kids off at school, which is a lot now. Uh, I when I do bike, I I check a couple things. I'll check the temperature at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. I'll check the rain chances throughout the day, and then I will check the wind, not only its uh, direction but its speed. Because I've been out there where I biked a place and I got there really fast. I'm like, that was awesome. And then I biked back. And once I used to bike back and forth when I lived at, uh, lived near Butler's campus. I used to bike to Zionsville, and people always think that's impressive. And it is. But I used to bike to Zionsville to substitute teach at the high school and the middle school and Z West and, and Z Middle and all these places. And as I did that, I, uh, and I was involved in, uh, I was leading Young Life there too at the time. And so as I did that, uh, I remember one day I, yeah, I biked there and it was just like, man, made great time. Great. I mean, I think like the furthest place, it would take me like an hour, 15 hour, 20 minutes to get to the, to the furthest school. Uh, and then, but coming back, I was coming back from the furthest school and the wind was in my face. And it took me like two and a half hours to get home. And it was just like, I got home and I like laid down and died like John Henry because I was, oh, I was, the wind determined that I was not going to make it very fast. Uh, the wind is invisible, but yet it influences everything. It's uncontrollable. Like Jesus says to, to Nicodemus, he says, hey, look at the wind. Can you control it? But yet that's what, what it is to be born of the spirit that you can't control the spirit or you can't control the wind, but it moves and it's doing this thing. And when you submit to it, when you put yourself in it, you can actually be moved by it. And God can move and direct you, not your will, but his. And you can be filled and born of the spirit. It's omnipresent. It's everywhere. Again, air is everywhere. Air is the one thing that is in everything. There is nothing, I mean, as much as things want to be airtight, you can't get the air that was already in there when you close the airtight thing. So this is actually a really important point when we are in isolation, because some of you are like completely isolated and you know, you're like living alone without roommates and maybe you've seen some people and I hope again that we are caring and reaching out and people are in our congregations are thinking that, man, who might be a more isolated in this time and just vulnerable uh, in the midst of this and that, uh, and how can I connect, care, or just, you know, figure out a way to, to give them connection. I've been talking with a couple of people. There's a guy that I've been texting every single day who's yeah, just completely isolated and every day he's just like, I'm going crazy. I'm like, I get it. Because uh, you would be, and it's like, this is not easy to like be like, oh, the spirit is omnipresent, but there is something about the fact that when you sense the presence of the spirit and that you are not alone, that he is omnipresent everywhere, and that you can actually be in a place where you are in a highly social extroverted situation just by connecting the spirit. And again, it doesn't replace community. It doesn't. Re 
replace people as being the body of God and all the need for that. And, and people abuse it all the time, being like, well, I got the spirit, I got, I what do I need people for? Yeah, well, that's not really what the picture of the scriptures, but when you are alone, I mean, when Paul is alone in jail, when he's in these places, he's just like, yeah, but like the spirit is with me and the spirit is filling me. Another metaphor you get, which is closely related, is a bird. Again, the first picture of the spirit is Genesis 1 with the spirit hovering over the waters. And it's this language of bird. It's like the idea of like a bird flapping its wings in the wind over the waters. And of course, birds fly in the wind. The wind lifts them and moves them and directs them. And and, and yeah, again, you see the bird. You see the bird, uh, the spirit uh, descend like a bird uh, upon Jesus. And so you get this idea of just like the ability to fly, move, go everywhere, do, dance in the wind. Uh, and the concept of birds. Uh, as a metaphor for the spirit. Yet liquid, again, I said so we come back to this. You first get this concept with anointing. Um, the anointing oil of uh, the kings. You anoint, you fill them with, you put oil upon them, and uh, you, you, yeah, you're now, uh, that's the marking of the spirit. Uh, what's interesting, I was thinking about this. Um, there, you know, we, we, I've been saying a few times, like, hey, when you're filled with the spirit, doesn't mean necessarily like you're glowing, but it's interesting that they chose oil to anoint kings with because I don't know if you've ever put oil on it, but it is highly reflective. It's that oily, obviously, I mean, of course it's oily. It's oil. Uh, and water is wet. Other profound thoughts from Kent. And so you have oil and it's on you. And if you put it all over you, like it makes you glisten. It makes you glow. Like I, so my first job uh, was a lifeguard and at the, uh, both the indoor and the outdoor summer pool. And the first day of the outdoor summer pool, we had the lifeguard baby oil challenge, which is you, uh, slathered yourself with baby oil and you lifeguarded out in the hot, hot sun all day long. And you just stayed out there. And the challenge was to see who could get the reddest. And it was some weird, uh, test of toughness and manhood or womanhood, or I don't know. It was, uh, stupid and melanoma inducing. And, uh, God was gracious to me that I'm still here at this point, but you would do that. And as you did that, as you looked across and of course, you'd see these lifeguards standing with covered in baby oil in the sun and glistening and glowing. And there was this sense of like, man, there's, you can tell they're covered in oil. There's something upon them. And it's like, almost like oil is poured on these King's heads. And it is like to say like, man, there's something upon these that is just filling them with a with an enhancement with with the presence of god with an influence of the god force himself upon them um you get not just oil but you get water uh jesus is baptized and and uh, the spirit descends upon him in that moment and of course water uh, is again this idea of omnipresent water can be everywhere it's cleansing it's renewing that's where you get that renewal recreation me uh, metaphor and uh, energy um, and another uh, type of liquid it's connected to is alcohol. Uh, you get uh, in Ephesians uh, 5, it says, hey, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it compares alcohol and the Spirit. And we actually do this in creation. I mean, you go to a liquor store and they will call bottles of alcohol spirits because there is something about them that influence you. They go into a person and they can influence you and they can influence your mind and your directive and your will. And again, it gets at this concept of what the spirit can do as well. And so that verse is not be like, be a teetotaler and never touch a drop, but rather, hey, like don't be filled in with uh, and, and influenced with, uh, with alcohol in a way that you're not being influenced by, by the spirit. Don't let that be what controls you and, and that empowers you and that you need uh, to live life on in the midst of uh, day drinking and boredom and COVID-19. I see ya, <laughs> I'm joshing. But uh, but the liquor stores do. They're they're making bank. Either way, uh, they it's not just that. It's it's uh, it's this idea that yeah, don't just be filled with things that like that is your empowerment. But be empowered also by God Himself. So yes, drink wine. Wine is a gift to make man's heart happy. Or happy, it says in the Psalms that God Himself drinks good wine and will break out good wine. Jesus passes around the wine and you know you get whiskey in the bible and the mixed uh the other drink and uh what leviticus it's in the pentateuch somewhere uh and you get all these different things uh who knows if it was whiskey but it was something it was amber amber liquid and uh you get all these different places where it's like yeah these are good creations they're filled with the spirit themselves they are they can be a spirit influencer themselves but ultimately they are not the same sustaining power that some people try to use them for to sustain their life like the spirit can and so uh all this liquid, oil, water, alcohol, 
metaphor gets tied to the spirit. And then lastly, there's a seal. I believe it again is in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, where it talks about you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit so that you know that you are, are sealed for, uh, for to become a new creation in Christ, that you are in Christ, and you know that because you're sealed with this, the Holy Spirit. And that brings in this whole idea of like, well, does that mean I need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Like, does that mean if I haven't spoken in tongues or if I didn't have this point where I started glowing and I had my eyes roll back that I'm not filled with the Spirit, I'm not saved? And no, I don't think I don't think that's that's true at all. I don't think that's exactly what baptism of the Spirit looks like. Uh, but it is this case of like, as you grow and discern and wisdom, and you start seeing the Spirit start to produce fruit in you, of like, man, I sometimes want to do sinful things or or just be really impatient, but at the same time, I have this other desire to be patient, and I actually, for whatever reason, act on it sometimes, and it like, it kind of feels like, hey, that wasn't just like something that was stupid. That was something that was crazy cool, and even though that person took advantage of my patience, I was actually like a life giving and. and it actually brought them deeper life and joy and me life and joy. And you start to see the spirit grow and change and move in you. And it doesn't happen overnight. And it's way slower and way more difficult than we like to admit. But it's there and it's progressive and it's moving us into the image of Jesus. And that is this picture of being sealed with the spirit. And it says, hey, will you see that? Will you see the spirit moving in you and empowering you and directing you slowly but surely two steps forward, six steps back, and maybe five steps forward? eventually you get to this point where you're like, man, I'm sealed with the spirit that he's going to complete the good work that he started in me. And all those metaphors, all of those metaphors crash on top of each other at the baptism of Jesus. So the baptism of Jesus, this moment where Jesus comes in the water, and I said this last week, I am fairly convinced, I'm not 100% convinced, but I'm I'm wrestling with it, and I'm pretty convinced Jesus doesn't 100% know, no, no, no. K-N-O-W, no, that he is the son of God or God in the flesh until that moment. Like there's a point where he's, yes, he's at the temple instructing people, uh, instructing teachers, and they're astounded at his wisdom, but it's not like he's omniscient at that point. He's still learning. He's still growing. He's still learning his ABCs. And as he does that, he's as he grows and he's, he develops, he feels a special connection to, to God through the spirit, and, and, it, and it causes him to dive into scripture and he sees insight his mind is influenced by the spirit and then he comes to this point of baptism where he goes into water and of course the water of the spirit covers him it's cleansing him it's renewing him it's anointing him um and then he uh it's going into him and then creating him new it's changing him um and influencing his spirit Uh, and then as he comes out of the water wind blows the clouds and the clouds part and light shines down and a bird-like expression of the spirit that says the spirit like a bird didn't say was a bird but the spirit comes down and descends like a bird and rests on jesus and then you hear god speak with his breath with his ruach this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased and Upon that moment, it is a seal that Jesus is sealed with the Spirit. And from that moment, he is certain and sure, and he is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But because he's sealed, because he knows God's his Father, because he is, is so certain that he's filled with the Spirit and that God is going to finish this good work that he started in him uh, as a man, but yet God in the flesh and as the chosen Messiah, he goes out to be tempted. Uh, and it's a recreation of the Adam and, uh, and Eve, uh, you know, out in a, in a wilderness, like instead of a garden, it's a wilderness, but but tempted by uh, the liar and the deceiver. And he says, you know, I'm no, I'm going to not take wisdom for myself and take what I truly could, even that you're saying is wise with the word of God, but I'm going to live by by the spirit of my God and and my father. And Satan departs from him and the angels come and they care for him. And again, all the metaphors of the Spirit are saying that this man is filled with the Spirit, that he is the Christ, the King, the Anointed One, the Messiah. All these concepts are being filled and anointed and empowered and appointed and directed by the Spirit. And then he says, hey, I'm going to go away and I'm going to give you my Spirit, which you will do greater things than I ever did. And again, we always just like, well, oh, no, no, no. I mean, Jesus, I've, I've, that's the competition that I am losing. But the thing is, is like, yeah, over time, yeah, we're not like doing all the things that Jesus did, but there are crazy things that have happened through believers, and sometimes they're 
maybe like more spectacular and maybe sometimes they're more like explainable, but still it starts with just like, you know, what does it say the spirit does for the believer? It, the spirit renews our mind. And so the spirit is going to yeah, give us increasing wisdom through study of scripture, through prayer, through growth, through self-awareness, by learning ourselves, by learning the world, by learning it as it relates to how God has revealed himself to be, and as through learning and by discipleship of those who are wiser in the image of Jesus and ahead of us, it renews our minds, and then we learn to live by the Spirit. We learn his voice, Jesus says in the book of John, that that those who, who are my sheep, they know my voice, I'm the good shepherd. Again, that's the self-awareness where we start to like peel out, okay, uh, that voice, uh, I don't know whose voice that is, but that's an unhealthy one. This voice is my voice, and it's also unhealthy. It's fleshly. This one's my voice, and it's actually connected to what Jesus might want to do in my life. And this one is purely just the Spirit of God influencing me. I, I, I see it clearly in Scripture. It, it, it truly does. I mean, I'm one who I... I hated the concept of like wisdom and discernment because I always just second guess everything, every decision, everything I've ever said. And I've just always thought like, I can't discern anything. I guarantee you, usually through suffering and life experience, it does become more clear as you become more self-aware, more humble and more reliant. It does become more clear to start to rely and see the spirit moving and see him renewing my mind, seeing where he's calling me to live. And then I can obey or not. I can keep in step with the Spirit. This idea of being in the rhythm of life, in the ruach, the wind, and the breath of life, or being out of rhythm with the breath of life. And and you know how that feels. You know when there's a sense of like, the wind is at my back. And yeah, sometimes it's just like, I'm having a good day. I feel like, you know, I, I drank the, the the lucky elixir potion from Harry Potter, and I can go and win the Quidditch tournament, tournament or whatever. Well, yeah, I'm on top of the world. I asked this girl out, and she said yes. I asked this guy, you know, whatever. But there's also these times where like, yeah, you're like filled with generosity or filled with a servant heart and you just feel in step and in rhythm with this sway and movement of the Ruach, the Spirit of God. And you sense what he wants you to do and you obey and in that you find life. And so that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Um, and, and as we're filled with the Spirit, I mean, he says we are going to be given his Spirit to do greater things than him. And we're going to get more into that in this, uh, this series. Um, but uh, I hope that is, uh, I hope that has been helpful and shaping and encouraging for you as it has been for me to study it. All right, that's it for today.